You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and out tip off. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. When you're an American Express Platinum card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. On this edition of our podcast, I'll be joined by Andrew Jones of Texas. A couple of years ago, he was diagnosed with leukemia, and here he is back as a major contributor for the Texas Longhorns. I'll also be joined by Trey Jones of Duke, the sophomore point guard, fresh off the Blue Devils' victory in New York in the 2K Empire Classic. Joel Linardi, the ESPN bracketologist, we're going to discuss why November matters. And Chad Acock from Turner Sports is going to fire back at me with some predictions See what I got right last week and what hopefully I'll get right again this week. And now it's time for the headlines in the past week in college basketball. Let's start at number one. Our defense finally got back to making it hard for them to score. So it just whittled away and, you know, we found a way. We'll keep trying to become more efficient offensively. We'll always work out that, but we can never give ground defensively. That's our staple. Virginia won the Hall of Fame Classic Tournament by holding Arizona State and UMass to under 50 points, making that five of six games where the Cavaliers, who are now 6-0, where they've held their opponents to 50 or less. The only team that scored more than 50, Vermont, 55 points. Phenomenal. Headline number two. It felt like March here in the HTC Center when they tipped off. And now the Baylor Bears have an early season signature win. The Baylor Bears really served notice to the Big 12 and the rest of the country, that they're a Final Four contender with their Myrtle Beach title over Villanova. All the chatter in the Big 12 is about Kansas, Texas Tech. Watch out for Baylor. They could win this league. No question about it. They have a legitimate shot to win the Big 12. Zone's looking great. Jared Butler could end up being the Big 12 Player of the Year. And coming up next year on March Madness 365, my conversation with Andrew Jones of Texas. Just a couple of years ago, he was diagnosed with leukemia. And at that point, there's no way he thought he could be playing college basketball again. But here he is, a major contributor for the Texas Longhorns yet again. Andrew, I want to get an assessment of where you think you are right now because, you know, you've had great moments already this season, the opener, and then, you know, it's just going to be a process where you may not score as much in double figures and all that. Where would you assess where you are on the court right now? Um, I'm pretty sure, like, I'm right now, I'm just average right now. I'm not playing the best basketball right now. Um, I'm just trying to get my feel. You know, I haven't played in two years. So it's been difficult for me to, you know, find my touch, find my rhythm, and my spots out there on the court. So um, I'm just got to stay confident, get back in the gym. You know, uh, got the first six games underneath my belt. And it's given me a time to just adjust and, you know, the second half of the season, just try to, you know, improve my play. How do you feel physically? I feel good physically, you know, um, I'm gaining athleticism. I'm starting to catch back up to the speed of the game. And once I'm able to get my strength back and impose my will the way I want to, I feel like the, the floodgates open up for me. 
Weight wise, uh, what were you before your diagnosis? Before I was like around 190, 192, something like that. And what are you now? Like 185, 186. What do you think is a good playing weight for you? For me right now, for like my athleticism, 185 around that area, uh, 190. I got like when I played at that weight, I was kind of heavier and slower. So wherever I can play, like managing between there where I can be athletic. You know, one thing I was just talking to, to Shaka Smart about, your head coach, that you know, it's going to be a process for you, and it's you know, the patience. And I know you want to get out there and, and, and do it, what you did before and in the first game obviously showed a lot of it. Uh, how do you manage your own patience during this comeback? You know, it's hard at times. You know, I just got to just trust God, trust my work, and just continue to get in the gym. You know, like for me, I, I hold myself to the expectation of where I was before I left, and I want people to know that I'm the same person before I left. But, you know, right now the ball is not bouncing my way, so I just got to – continue just to grind it's hard trust me it's hard but how often do you look at it and say you know what you know when when i was first diagnosed with leukemia there there was no way that maybe i would think i would even be here be in this position to be playing in madison square garden and playing at purdue and and having the kind of production you're even having uh even so far this season yeah everything i'm doing right now is a blessing you know i'm 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 a perfectionist at heart, you know, diagnosis or not. I still hold myself to a pedestal where I can compete, and I want to be the best that I can be. So, you know, sometimes I have to take into perspective that I lost everything, 90% of everything, and I'm really gaining it back. So I just have to try to take it slow, try not to, try not to get too much into my head, and then just enjoy the process. You know, we got a great win. I'm in Madison Square Garden for the first time, never played here. So it's, it's hard, but I'm a, I got to persevere. What was that first game like when you were able to, you know, go off and, and, and score well into double figures? Uh, what was that moment like to do that? Um, at first, I was kind of skeptical about how my game was going to go. You know, I missed my first three shots in the first half and I, did, I was like one for three. So I was like, man, I didn't know how the game would go. And then I just lost myself in the team, lost myself in playing basketball. Then just the floodgates open. And, you know, I, I know what I'm capable of. Like that game gave me a lot of wiggle room. Um, for these last four or five games. So it's like, I know what I can do. And once I can able to do that consistently on a regular basis, I think I'd be good. But also in terms of putting that in perspective, how much did it also maybe raise everyone's expectations? Oh, well, Andrew Jones is going to do that every night. Right. Uh, you know, I just, I just, I want them to think that, you know, I want them to know every time I get on the court, I'm, I'm good for, you know, whatever, you know, what they ever expect. So that's the MO that I want. And I just got to go out there and do it. Because, I mean, agree with me here. I mean, that would be unrealistic regardless of what you've just gone through the last two years. Right. I know people tell me all the time, people in my situation don't bounce back the way they do, don't even come back to play collegiate ball. And sometimes I have to put it into perspective that I'm out here playing significant minutes in the last six or seven games that I didn't know that I was going to get. So it just, I just take it day by day. And the shots I'm getting are good looks. Like, they're great looks. Like, they're just not even really forced misses. You know, I just got to get back in the gym and get back to the basics. And for those that maybe weren't following you, if you can just update us, where are you right now in your full recovery in terms of treatment and everything like that? Uh, right now, I'm in complete uh, molecular. I'm in complete remission right now, and um, I have no more treatments for now. Just checkups. What's that feel like to know that? It's great, you know. Now that I know, I don't have to in the next month or two sit down and take a major step back with my body and the medicine. So. Now it's just uphill from here, so I, uh, I can just get my body right the way I want to, continue to gain strength and athleticism. I feel myself getting faster and stronger each time I get it out there on the court. You know, I was just watching the Players' Tribune piece that, that went online, 
and I'm sure you've seen it or seen yourself, you know, at the low point. What's that like when you see what you looked like, you know, with tubes connected, when you're going through treatment, weak, you know, a mask over your mouth, you know, to, to make sure you didn't get any kind of an infection. And, and when you actually see it. I mean, it's hard sometimes. Then I, I take a look right back to where I was and where I'm at now. It's just me a year and a half ago wouldn't be able to walk on my own. Wouldn't even put my sh- shoes on by myself. Can't even brush my own teeth. And I just see the progression. So once I got out the hospital, I started going to 24, I mean, LA Fitness. And then I could barely run. Like, I didn't have any balance to even go fast. I couldn't even. And now... Last year, conditioning-wise, strength-wise, couldn't even keep up going down, like coming out any other plays. Now I'm playing 25 minutes. So it's just I can see the growth. I'm making a tremendous growth right now. It's just God knows what happens in the future. What's your family think of the way you've been playing? You know, they just, they're just happy to see me out on the court. You know, I talk to my dad after the games. And, you know, he know I get down on myself because I'm such a perfectionist and I want – I want to make everybody proud. I want to like be that story, like something that's never done before. And they just want me just to relax and then just enjoy being back on the team and playing. You already are that story. Okay. You already are that story. You're back playing. It's tremendous. We're all so proud of you that you're out here. So I hope you don't, I know you got to be a perfectionist. I get that. And that's great. But I hope you don't feel like, you know, if you're not, you know, an all American that you haven't achieved. I mean, what you've done already to this point is phenomenal. I hope you understand that. I appreciate that. And I, and I, I, I accept it, but then again, I just can't be complacent because if I just accept this, then I won't, you know, grow. There was no room for growth. You know, one last thing I'm just curious from your teammates and the staff, because I think this is true whether anyone's sick goes through surgery, obviously, if they have cancer. You know, people are sort of walking on eggshells a little around you at first. If, if you're the patient, but has that changed to where now they're like, okay, you know, he's back. We can accept that we don't have to necessarily, you know, shuffle around him and, you know, is he okay and all that, constantly checking on you. And I know that that can be hard when you know people love you and they care about you. But at the same time, you're like, I'm good. I'm doing all right. How has that worked with your play, with your teammates and the staff? Um, when I first got back, um, my old strength coach, Coach Ruth, he told me um, – he put in perspectives. He's like, do you want me to treat you like a cancer patient or like a team? I'm like, man, treat me like everybody else on the team, you know? And, um, you know, that sometimes they do tiptoe. They don't want to do that. But I, I'm coming at you regardless, pick line or not. So do the same. And I expect them to do that. And lately, they don't. They, now that I'm back, they, they, come, they come at me because, you know, if not, they might get embarrassed. So it's like everybody holds that to the, the highest of standards. And I enjoy it. You know what I mean? I want them to know that I'm a threat and that they can go at me and get better. Well, we're thrilled that you're back. Continue recovery. And it's just, it's tremendous to see you on the court and doing so well. You look great. I appreciate it. Thank you. And now joining me here, Trey Jones from Duke. And Trey, we're talking here now after knocking off Georgetown in an extremely physical game to win the 2K Empire Classic. What did this matchup tell you about this young team and the way they can handle a physical basketball game? Right. Um, I think we we grew up definitely in this game. Um, I mean, just opening up in MSG um, against Kansas was an extremely physical game as well. And so I think um, that, game helped, that game helped us a lot um, for this game. But Coming out early in the game, they, they definitely hit us in the mouth, but we were able to, to battle back, and uh, we were able to have many guys step up um, that, that hadn't got that chance before, and they they're stepping up big for us, and we were able to make big plays to help us come back. And then um, just in the second half, second half and down the stretch, um, we just had guys that are making winning plays and tough plays. 
um, to help us win. Trey, we, we, I feel like we're in this exact same spot a couple of weeks ago uh, after the Champions Classic. You know, and no one knew their identity then. It feels like the identity of this team is starting to become its defense as at least step one. And I lost track of how many charges you guys took. You know, people can debate whether they should or shouldn't have been called, but you still, as a team, stood there and took them. How would you assess the way this team is growing defensively, especially in the way you performed against Georgetown? I mean, we're, we're growing every single day. Uh, the coaches, coaches are on us hard every single day about it. Um, that's the first thing we do in practice is defense every single day. Um, we're getting after it. Um, trying to trying to work. Um, we we know that uh, defense is going to help us win the championship. So I'm um, just trying to get it after on defense and have that be our d- identity. How often are you guys taking charges in practice? Right, um, pretty often. If we aren't taking the charges, you're, you're getting yelled at or called out on film. <laughs> Vernon Carey had a phenomenal couple of days in New York, over fifty well, fifty one points. Uh, how much is he emerging as you know, maybe potentially maybe that go to score that you guys can can count on? Right, um, his dominance uh, was unmatched. Um, these past couple of days, um, he, he was unstoppable um, all over the court, um, offensively and, and defensively. And so um, we know that we know that he can do that night in and night out. And uh, we're going to we're going to be expecting that from him now. I know we're still a week or so away, but the next sort of big time event, physical on the road at Michigan State. How much did this kind of a game prepare you for that road trip uh, on December 3rd? Right, um, definitely prepared us. Um, like you said, um, big, big and physical um, game for sure. So uh, that'll definitely be a different type of environment. But um, as far as the play goes, it'll be big. They're big and a physical team, and, and that'll be another battle like this one. And how much are you growing into your leadership role? Trying to trying to become a better leader every single day, um, any way possible. In what way? <laughs> uh, definitely um, vocally, um, more and more trying to trying to lead uh, with my voice, um, not just actions. Um, and what I do out there, but trying to lead as in um, trying to put guys in the right places, talk to guys, try to get guys going, different different things like that. Thanks, Trent. Thank you. <laughs> Up next here on March Madness 365, Joe Lenardi, ESPN's bracketologist, who certainly has been doing this for quite some time, knows all the ins and outs of a bracket, but we're going to talk about November and why it matters for selection and seeding. Continue on with our guests on March Madness 365. It's time for Cats Ranks Top 10 in the past week in college basketball. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. Let's start at number 10. Vermont's Anthony Lamb scored 30 points, including seven threes in a 61-55 loss at Virginia, completing one of the best singular performance against the Cavaliers in the past year. At number 9, Western Carolina, coached by Mark Prosser, completed a comeback for the ages. They beat Jacksonville after being down 22 points with 6.09 left. That was on the road. Western Carolina ended up winning 96-94 in double overtime. Number eight, Hofstra won at UCLA. Boston University won at South Carolina. Coastal Carolina beat Utah Mineral Beach. Penn won at Providence. More teams from one-bid leagues score wins on the road or on neutral sites against high-profile opponents. The trend continues. Number seven, Xavier beat UConn in double overtime in a Charleston Classic semifinal in one of the better games that we saw in the month of November. Number six, Gonzaga's Killian Tilly is back and scored 15 points and grabbed eight boards in his first game of the season, helping the Zags knock off UT Arlington. Zags could be the champs by week's end in the battle for Atlantis. And number five, I mentioned this at the top, 
Memphis knocked off Ole Miss in the first high-profile game without the suspended James Weissman as fellow freshman Precious Achua scored 25 points. At number four, Virginia continued its dominance by holding its fifth opponent to under 50 points and winning the Hall of Fame Classic in Uncasville, Connecticut. At number three, Baylor beat Villanova to win the Myrtle Beach Invitational to send notice the Bears are a team to be reckoned with. At number two, Florida won the Charleston Classic by knocking off Xavier Sunday to complete quite a turnaround in a week after losing to UConn the previous Sunday and earn March Madness Team of the Week. And at number one for Cats ranks, Duke freshman Vernon Carey Jr. scored 51 points and grabbed 22 boards in an MVP performance for the Blue Devils 2K Empire Classic title in New York. Carey also earned our March Madness National Player of the Week. And that is your Cats ranks. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, my good friend and former colleague, Joel Lenardi. You can always see his brackets on ESPN.com. The original bracketologist uh, and who I worked for many years for uh, when we were doing Blue Ribbon, uh, regular preseason and postseason, the postseason guide. So, Joe, uh, we are nearing the end of November, a couple of Feast Week tournaments concluding on Sunday, the real thrust of all of them. Uh, this whole Thanksgiving week. But first, in general, Joe, how critical are these kind of non-conference tournaments in the month of November to the resumes that we're all going to dissect and discuss in early March? I think they are of greater importance, Andy, relative to the number of high-level games you get to play in your league, right? If you're Duke, If you're Kentucky, if you're Michigan State, if you're Kansas and you were to, you know, lose unexpectedly in one of these events and still do what most expect you to do throughout the course of the season. I don't want to say these games are not consequential, but they're not debilitating. If you're a middle of the pack team in a power conference or even more so a mid-major team that has designs on one of the few at-large bids available to you, then these neutral court games against power conference schools are essential because they're probably the only chances you're going to get. So let's say hypothetically, because I know there are a couple of teams that I'm already thinking of like this. Let's say you leave the month of November and you have failed to get what would end up being a quad one win. How much pressure does that put on, let's say, if you have one or two left in the month of December to at least get one or two of those before you get into your conference. And I'm talking about, you know, someone from a power six, seven league, you know, a league that gets multiple bids. Again, I think it depends where you are in the pecking order of that league, because if, if you're near the top, you're going to get the most opportunities because leagues now tend to pair up their better teams to play twice in conference play as opposed to once in most cases. Uh, If you're a team that's going to finish the year with, you know, a dozen quad one games, then you don't have to be tournament good all year long. Uh, We've seen that in the selection and seeding process in recent years. But if you're a school that might only get one or two more chances, you can already see your at-large bid kind of slide away before you even get, you know, past Thanksgiving. And I don't think that's necessarily good for the sport, 
but it is the way that the cookie's been crumbling in the last few seasons. You know, so like Evansville is a great example, and we've seen this before. Like Evansville last week had one of the best wins, clearly, in its program history. Um, they go and win at Kentucky, then number one, and then they lose three games after that. <laughs> and uh, But at, in that moment, in that snapshot of time, I was saying, hey, if, if, big, big if here, if Evansville could then build off of that, that could be the kind of win that gets you in at large if, let's say, you finish – you know, second in the Valley, you win the regular season, but don't win the tournament. But it puts even more pressure on doing everything what you should do after a win like that. How right am I on that? I think Evansville has an incredibly steep climb, even with the win at Kentucky, without taking into account, you know, their last, you know, two or three games since then, which obviously haven't, you know, gone the way they would have hoped. But... (laughs) The math just works against schools like Evansville from the jump. Like, like they would need to do that two or three times to feel safe. And a win like that, a win like that might happen two or three times in a generation. No, I know. But I was thinking, like, remember when Loyola got in the year they went to the Final Four? Now, they ultimately got in as an AQ. But that win they had at Florida early in the season – you know, that was sort of the calling card that everyone was holding on to if they didn't win the Valley. Right. And I would argue, I would argue that Loyola would not have gotten in even with that win at Florida. I mean, they got an 11 seed as it is. If a loss early in the Valley tournament, you know, would have put them even closer to the cut line. I think you're really asking for the committee's viewpoint to change to think, that in Evansville or Loyola with just the one big win would get in. It used to be that way, Andy. It's not anymore. I think you and I would argue that maybe it should be, but we're just not seeing it. So one of the more intriguing cases will end up being Memphis. And I think Memphis's home win over Ole Miss was a tremendous sign for over the next you know month because James Weissman, their star player, potential number one draft pick, he is suspended for a total of 12 games. They've got 10 more, and they have a lot of opportunities, you know, which began with this Ole Miss game, which they just won at home. They're going to play NC State. Whether or not they'll be a tournament team, that's a neutral in Brooklyn. They got at Tennessee. They're going to have a home Georgia, and then they start the American at Wichita State. You know, and I was saying this before the Ole Miss game, if hypothetically they were to really tank it or do poorly, and then when he comes back, they go on this great tear, you know, I still say they get in, but what would be really interesting is, and this has happened before, you know, how the committee handles a team that has the record of, let's say, you know, who knows, an eight, nine or a seven or something, but has the talent once it's whole of being a top four seed. You know, you know, what do you think of a case like that and you know, how it potentially could play out, uh, especially now that they got this old miss win? Well, I would argue in, in, in the case of a Memphis that, that they need to pay close attention to what happened a couple of years ago with Bonzi Colson of Notre Dame. Now, now, I'm not suggesting, you know, that Bonzi Colson is the number one pick in the NBA draft, as Wiseman could be. But, but, you know, we're in a situation looking at the Tigers here, or excuse me, the Irish that year, they were the 69th team. And Colson came back and showed that he was healthy, and the Irish showed that they could win tournament-level games in the ACC tournament that year. I would not want to be a bubble team if I were Memphis, again, based on that precedent. 
you know, if what we're talking about instead is seeding instead of. Yeah, I'm curious your view on let's say they're in. Let's say they put themselves in position, but yeah. the record, you know, is definitely worthy of getting in. But now you got to decide how would you seed them? Well, as you know, uh, Mr. Chairman, having shared a few mock selections in your time, that the votes and evaluation for seeding is done separately from selection. And it's almost as if they think it differently at that point. And, and that would give me hope as a Memphis fan that they might be judged more on the basis of what they could do in the tournament as opposed to what they have done over the entire body of work of the season. So, yeah, you know, they may have the record of a nine seed and get a six. But, but more often than not, more often than not, not much of an adjustment is made. So we'll, we'll have to see. Uh, and, and first of all, they may still win a fair number of games without them. Right. Right. So we, we, we just don't know. All right, Joe, before I let you go, in December, uh, and I'm trying – I know off the top of my head, I'm just curious, and I don't want to put you on the spot. What are a couple of games that I know maybe you might have in your head in December and say, you know what, I'm going to be looking to see how these play out for potentially their selection or seeding that are going to have great shelf life? I'll tell you one of the weeks that I watch more th- closely than any other and, and not, not specific games per se, but, but the big 10 ACC challenge, because you get, you know, the way they, they, they create those games is they kind of go down the standings or the projected standings. Right. So, you know, they try and have the fifth place team kind of play the fifth place team and so on. And it gives an opportunity for true road wins over equal bubble competition so again i'm sitting in the dark i don't have the schedule in front of me but i guarantee you there are games in that event involving the illinois of the world or the miamis of the world or you know your alma mater wisconsin right you know wisconsin has a potential couple bubble games in brooklyn just this week so so those are the games that i pay very close attention to even more than these quote-unquote sun and fun tournaments that we're all enjoying right now yeah duke and michigan state i'm going to give you one team i'm going to circle two games for you that i know you are going to be paying attention to i'll leave you with this december 14th december 18th gonzaga is at arizona on the 14th and they host north carolina on the 18th what do you think of those two well i think they're all going to be in the tournament so no but i mean that you win like two games like that and Gonzaga could be right back into that top two line uh, category. Oh, my goodness, yes. And, I mean, you know, we're talking about a program now that starts its year thinking we want to be the number one seed in the West. Right. Because the last time we had that, we went to the national championship game. So, so yes, yes. You're talking I, – I believe it's the 14th. Um, there's a Syracuse-Georgetown yes, game in there that, game. that I have circled. Yes. That for me, that's a that's a differentiator. Uh, And and, you know, the rest of the world's paying attention to the Maui final. Uh, I'm looking at at those kind of kind of matchups. Well, Joe, I appreciate it. Uh, I do it again. And I I, and I obviously want everyone to uh, check out your bracket. You can compare it against mine. I'm just I'm I'm just the student looking at the mentor here. So uh, you're doing awfully well, Andy. You're doing just fine. Well, thank you. I appreciate it, Joe. Thank you. And I miss seeing you. Yes, you too. So long. All right, it's 
time for March Chadness, the part of the podcast where Chad Haycock from Turner Sports, uh, my right hand, my mentor here at Turner Sports, the one who directs us in the right direction every week. Uh, Chad, first off, how did I do last week? Andy, we might have a trend on our hands here because week one, you went four and six. A little bit more improvement week two, six and four. And last week, uh, you went eight and two. So I'm fully expecting a 10 and a week if we keep this uh, this pace of improvement, Andy. Right, so where did I where did I falter here in those two losses? Yeah, your only like individual game miss was that Ole Miss game. You had Ole Miss uh, knocking off Memphis, but it was a close game. It's kind of hard to fault you there. And then your other miss uh, was just the overall Charleston Classic winner, if you even want to count that as a miss, just picking the whole tournament winner. Uh, you had Xavier, and Florida came out on top, as we saw late Sunday night. Well, when we made the picks, I mean, Florida was coming off its second loss in two weeks. Uh, so I think that was defendable. Oh, for sure. And especially after the Gators had kind of, uh, you know, messed up your picks after you went 0-2, picking them in those first two weeks, too. Right. But, hey, Feast Week is here. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there. Let's start off with the Battle for Atlantis. Taking uh, It's going to start Wednesday, November 27th. Andy, the first game of that matchup, Michigan and Iowa State. Juwan Howard, he still has the, has the Wolverines undefeated. Do they stay undefe- undefeated against Iowa State? I, I think they do. Now, Iowa State has already challenged itself. They went out uh, and played at Corvallis, a tough road game, uh, right at the beginning of the season. Michigan has been playing home games uh, in the Gavit games. They got kind of a break because they played a Creighton team that's going to probably be the lower third of the Big East. So, in this environment, though, uh, even though Iowa State has experience, I like the core experience of Michigan better than Iowa State, especially John Teske. He is having a great senior season. Uh, His production is up in every statistical category, and I just don't see Iowa State having a match for John Teske inside. I'm going with Michigan. All right, this will be Michigan's first true test of the season, so I think we could learn a lot there. Now, the primetime matchup from this same tournament, number 11, Oregon, and number 13, Seton Hall. Who do you have that one? This is a tough call. Uh, when I broke down all these holiday tournaments and looked for the best first-round game in all of them, it's this one. This, I think, is by far the best first-round game. This could be a game, Chad, that we could see in the Elite Eight. Uh, You know, I wouldn't be shocked if Seton Hall and Oregon were playing in an Elite Eight in one of the four regions. So, now, they're all obviously going to be much better by then. Oregon's not completely whole yet. Um, But, look, Seton Hall looked great against Michigan State, just couldn't close the deal. I don't think Oregon has an answer for Miles Powell. I go with the Pirates. Riding with Miles Powell, I like the pick. Now, the rest of that field, you've got UNC, Alabama, Gonzaga, and Southern Miss. Who do you like to come out on top of you know, the entire battle for Atlantis? Well, historically, Gonzaga has fared incredibly well in these non-conference, um, high-profile tournaments. Uh, and so I'm going to go with the Zags, even though the Zags, you could argue, are in the tougher part of the bracket because... Assuming Gonzaga gets by Southern Miss, playing either Seton Hall or Oregon, once again, that's another matchup that we could see in the right. Elite Eight. And at the top of the bracket, uh, you know, at this juncture, you would argue that North Carolina is the best of those four teams. So what I think could and may happen is we could get a Gonzaga-North Carolina final in the Bahamas basically less than three weeks before they meet again in Spokane. I think that's the best thing about this weekend. There's so many games, so many tournaments. You get so many just high-profile non-conference matchups. That's going to be probably the best tournament of this November season. 
moving on, though, you got the NIT season tip-off in Barclays. Ole Miss and Penn State. I don't understand it, Andy. The the media just has not gotten on board with Penn State yet. You have. Penn State checks in at 21 on your Power 36. You've been on Penn State the entire season. Uh, even, the, you know, Penn State won at Georgetown, and then Georgetown upset Texas. I figured the media would catch on to that trend there. Uh, but who do you like in the Ole Miss-Penn State matchup? So I'm a little disappointed in Ole Miss because I thought they would beat Memphis without James Weissman. They didn't, as you just noted as we were starting this. Uh, Penn State, you know, has a strong, strong following in the New York metro area. It's all drivable from campus. I just think Penn State's going to have a great crowd. They always do when they play either at the Garden or at Barclays. And I think they're the better team. I'm going with Penn State. Okay, so Penn State moves on. Now, the other matchup in that tournament, you've got Oklahoma State and Syracuse. Oklahoma State still undefeated. Who do you like there? So Syracuse has played much better since I saw them in that opener against Virginia. They're shooting the basketball. They're making threes. They've made a switch at the point. Uh, And once again, the Orange consistently have played well, you know, without question in uh, whether it's the Garden, the Barclays, somewhere in the New York metro area. So I'm going with Syracuse to beat Oklahoma State. Yeah, that home crowd will certainly do them wonders there. Uh, So you've got Syracuse, Penn State. Who would come come out on top of that potential championship matchup in Barclays? Great game. But I love the physicality of Penn State here. We're, you know, going against Syracuse. That was the one thing in watching Syracuse in that Virginia game. You know, they have in the past had great size, especially with that zone. But I just don't think they're going to have someone that can handle Lamar Stevens. I think he could go for a double-double in this game. I'm going with Penn State to beat Syracuse at Barclays. And maybe the AP poll, when we're talking a week from today, uh, and today being Monday, that uh, that they will clearly you know recognize this and put Penn State in the top twenty-five. Yeah, it'd be about time if they finally get that done. It feels like that Penn State Ole Miss game is actually the the better two teams in that tournament. I think the winner of that game will, will beat the winner of the other matchup, no matter who's in who's in that game. Period. But uh, we'll see we'll see about that one. Now Thanksgiving, you've got the Orlando Invitational. You've got Maryland, who checks in at number five in the poll against Temple. Temple picked up that big win at USC, and that kind of propelled them to number 26 in your power 36. Uh, Is Temple going to give Maryland a game here? I I think they will, but once again, I think there's a a matchup issue for the Owls. You know, this this could be a great game for, uh, for Jalen Smith, the Stick Smith, for Maryland. I don't think Temple can handle him, whereas Temple has pretty good guards, and they might be able to match, you know, Anthony Cowan Jr. for Maryland or Eric Ayala. So uh, I'm going to go with the Terps in Orlando and what I think will end up being a, a very late possession, last couple possession game. But I'm going to go with Maryland beating Temple. All right, another matchup in that same tournament in Orlando. You've got Davidson and Marquette. Could be a pretty high-scoring affair there. Who do you like? So I went back and forth on this game because I'm much higher on Davidson, at least I was in the preseason. I think overall... You know, they should be a better team. Obviously, Marquette has the better player in Marcus Howard. But Davidson has really struggled out of the gate, disappointingly. And Marquette, you know, all they did so far was lose a rivalry game at Wisconsin. So I'm going to go with Marquette uh, and Marcus Howard uh, to have a banner game and, uh, and beat Davidson in that tournament. So no answer for Marcus Howard. The rest of that field, you've got Texas A&M, Harvard, USC, and Fairfield on top of, obviously, Davidson, Marquette, Maryland, and Temple. Who do you like to win the entire Orlando Invitational? Well, I'd love to see like a Maryland-USC game. 
uh, to have like Smith versus uh, uh, Onyeka Okongwu inside for USC. I think that'd be a great matchup of two of the better bigs that are either freshmen or sophomores. Uh, and, and that's the one I'm projecting, a Maryland-USC matchup. But I'm going to go with the Terps. They're the most experienced team in this field. They're the team that uh, you know has a chance legitimately to get to a Final Four in this field. And I got Maryland winning in Orlando. All right. Now, just a one-off game. It's not a tournament, but it is a non-conference, I guess, just just a one-off game here. It's the Barclays Center Classic. Uh, it's NC State and number 16, Memphis. Who comes out there, Andy? Well, you know, look, Precious Achua played very well in this past week uh, without James Weissman on the floor in the two games they've had, and, uh, you know, especially in the Ole Miss game. So I'm going to go with Memphis. I just think they have just too much talent for NC State. And if Memphis beats NC State... You know, this is going to be a tremendous confidence boost for this team to knock off essentially two of the remaining four games that I projected that are really critical without Weissman. These are two. You know, they got the Ole Miss. If they get NC State, they still have at Tennessee. Uh, actually, there's five of them. Excuse me. They have at Tennessee still to come. Then they've got home Georgia. And then at Wichita State, their uh, opener in the American. So if they can get these first two, uh, and I think they could win at least one of those other three. And if they go, so if they go three and two in the key games without James Weissman and they take care of the other games around that, uh, that they've got remaining before he comes back, uh, they're going to be just fine once he returns. Yeah, I agree. Especially after they, after they beat Ole Miss, <laughs> they haven't really given you a reason to not pick him again. So Memphis moves on. Now, Friday, you've got the Emerald Coast Classic, Andy. You've got a big matchup here, number 17, Tennessee, against Florida State. Florida State just missed cracking the top 25. They're like two points away from jumping in there at number 25. But who do you like in that matchup? So I struggled with this one as well. It's kind of like that Marquette Davidson pick. You really could go either way. I mean, I I think this could easily be, you know, sort of a pick-em type game that you just just don't know uh, and could come down to a late possession. I just, as well as Florida State played defensively at Florida, I was even more impressed with the way in which Tennessee beat Washington on a neutral floor in Toronto. Uh, I'm going to go with the Vols here to beat Florida State in what probably could be, you know, like a 55-50 type game because Florida State's going to keep the scoring down. That's right. But this is kind of a, 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 I think it's like just one of those hidden gem four-team tournaments that, is not getting any kind of pub, but I think it's really, really good. Yeah, I totally agree. And it'll be interesting to see if Florida State can beat Tennessee, obviously give them two SEC wins after that win at Florida. Now you got number 20 VCU against Purdue. Purdue could certainly use a big win here. Is Purdue the team here? Or are they going to upset VCU? So that's the other game in this tournament that I'm saying is sneaky good. And uh, once again, really tough call. VCU obviously beat LSU at home. The question will be now, can you translate the way VCU plays? Uh, I mean, it's not, you know, full on what Shaka did, but still they feed off the energy at the Siegel Center in Richmond. Uh, They're not going to have that same kind of environment uh, down in Florida. But I also look at Matt Painter here. I can't see how in his next couple of big games, after dropping the game to Texas and losing the game uh, to Marquette, that Purdue continues this slide and doesn't get a couple of the key wins that they're going to need before they get in the Big Ten. I think they beat VCU with their backs against the wall. All right, and then who would you have winning that potential matchup with Purdue and Tennessee? So I got Purdue going one-on-one because <laughs> I got Tennessee winning this tournament. 
and, and rekindling the thoughts that the Vols are definitely going to be a top four SEC team. All right, Andy, that's all the individual picks I have for you in this week. But Andy, give me a give me a bonus catch ranks. Give me give me your top three Thanksgiving foods you're going to be looking for on Thursday. So I'm a huge stuffing guy. I mean, I could easily have the stuffing and the cranberry uh, sauce and not really have turkey. I do like turkey, but at the same time, uh, I'd be fine with just tons of stuffing. You know, and after that, I'm not a real big dessert guy, big pie guy. No pie. Uh, You know, if anything, you know, maybe it could be like a sweet potato kind of, I wouldn't say casserole, but something in that family. But I would definitely go stuffing number almost one, two, and three. All right. Well, Andy, hope you and yours have a good Thanksgiving, and we will revisit these picks next week. You know, there is one more that I would put on upset alert, but I'm not going to go there uh, because I don't even know what, if this would be considered an upset, Chad, but... I could see Utah State winning at St. Mary's, but I'm gonna. I, I still think St. Mary's will pull off that victory because Utah State is not 100% yet. You know, Kada has not been playing for Utah State, and St. Mary's. I can't see them losing two games in Moraga. They already lost to Winthrop, but that's a key game of a regular non-conference game coming up this week that I think certainly is going to be uh, one to watch. Bonus pick. Love it, Andy. (laughs) Well, Chad, have a great Thanksgiving, all our listeners. Hope everyone has a happy and safe and peaceful Thanksgiving. Uh, A lot of basketball certainly to watch this week. Uh, And as always, you can check out all different variations of our podcast on NCAA.com, on our social media platforms. Great guests this week. My interview with Andrew Jones from Texas, Trey Jones from Duke. Joe Lenardi from ESPN, their bracketologist, breaking it all down. And, of course, Chad and I making predictions here in the latter part of the podcast. As always, you can download this podcast wherever you get your podcast. Check us out at NCAA.com and March Madness. Thanks for listening. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge, Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply.